Well, it all started when her dad died. Her stepmother took possession of everything, the house, the money, the servants, the whole lot. Overnight, she went from being daddy's uh, little girl to being her stepmother's slave girl. If she wasn't scrubbing the floors and waiting on tables, then she'd be provoked and taunted by her stepsisters. And if that wasn't bad enough, everything that was rightfully hers now belonged to her evil stepsisters, the nice clothes, the attention, and most of all, the tickets to Prince Charming's ball. But of course, there was no way in the world that Cinderella could go. Not only did her stepmother make sure she couldn't go, her best dress was a dirty old rag and her best friends were a nest of mice. But all that changed in an instant. Out of the blue, her fairy godmother appears and with a wave of her wand, Cinderella's rags become a beautiful dress. The mice become horses, the pumpkin becomes a carriage and Cinderella is whisked off to the ball. And we all know Cinderella's story and how it ends, don't we? The handsome prince dances with her all night long and just as the clock's about to strike midnight, she dashes off and runs because the magic's about to end. And as she races off, she accidentally leaves behind a glass slipper. But a glass slipper was all that Prince Charming needed to find her. He sent his guards throughout the land and at long last, he finds Cinderella in an attic. The glass slipper fits her perfectly and in case you're wondering, it's a size four and a half. Cinderella is then rescued by Prince Charming from her evil stepmother and becomes a princess. The Cinderella story is a great example of the reversal of fortunes. Something that was impossible became possible. Something that was incomprehensible became a reality. A ragged servant girl becomes Prince Charming's bride. And that's the theme we encountered last week with Hannah, didn't we? A reversal of fortunes. Hannah was barren. She desperately wanted a child. Every year she'd go to Shiloh where the tabernacle of God is and earnestly pray to God for a son. But every year she was provoked by Penina over and over again, irritated by her, mocked by her, for she was barren. But then after years of praying and being taunted, God answers her prayers and gives her a son. And so Hannah's fortunes are reversed. The childless woman becomes the woman with child. The taunting stops and the mockery fades away. Tears of sadness becomes tears of joy. The reason for pain becomes the cause for praise. And that's the focus of today's passage. Hannah's prayer of praise to God for reversing her fortunes. And what we'll see is that Hannah's prayer isn't a quick prayer of thanks, but a considered prayer of praise. She doesn't just say thanks to God, she expresses her joy in God. Now whenever we come across a prayer in a biblical narrative like 1 Samuel, we want to pause and consider it carefully, because it could have been left out completely, and the story could have continued unabated. But because it's been included, there's something that God wants us to know. There's something that God wants to teach us through Hannah's prayer, and so we're going to consider it carefully this morning. We're going to do this in three parts. Uh, the first part from verse 1 to 3 uh, shows us Hannah rejoicing in God for her present deliverance. Verses 4 to 8 uh, it shows Hannah's praises of God for his past deliverances. And verses 9 to 10 is where Hannah anticipates God's future deliverance. So present, past, and future. Now, even though the prayer is only about 10 verses long, it's jam-packed. There's a lot in there. So we're not going to study every word and every phrase. 
but we're going to get a sense of the principles that informed Hannah's prayer and see what we can learn of the situation, of her, of her prayers, and how we can learn to pray like her. So let's start with the first section, verses 1 to 3. Hannah rejoicing in God for present deliverance. So we're looking at the present. Verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Now the deliverance word there is actually the word salvation. Now I don't know what, what your initial reaction is when you read this, but for me I was actually a little surprised when I read here that Hannah was boasting over her enemies. Do you see that? I thought that was somewhat arrogant. Uh, but when I delved deep into the passage, I realized that I was actually wrong. You see, the image we're given here that Hannah prays is, is like that of a rhinoceros. A rhinoceros who's been fending off and fighting off a lion. Maybe lions attacking the rhinoceros's cubs. And so the rhinoceros is fighting off the lion and the lion runs away. And you can just imagine the rhinoceros lifting its horn up in victory and its mouth is wide open. So God has lifted Hannah's horn, her strength. He has strengthened her. And her mouth boasts, that is more literally, it says her mouth is enlarged. That is like a rhinoceros who's fended off an enemy. She is lifted and strengthened by God. And her mouth is enlarged as she does that because there is great relief with it as well. With the victory, there is relief. So, so the contrast here then is between last week and this week. And the contrast couldn't be more stark. Last week, Hannah was downhearted and troubled. She wept and couldn't eat. She poured out her soul to God, so much so that Eli, the high priest, who saw her pray, thought that she was drunk. Imagine praying so earnestly to God that you look like you were drunk. And this week, her, her heart's filled with joy. She couldn't be happier. She's on top of the world. And so she delights in God's deliverance for opening up her womb, for giving her a son, and for putting an end to the taunting that she's received from her enemy. You see, Hannah praises God because she's been delivered by God. God hasn't just opened her womb and given her son. God has put an end to Penina's taunts and delivered her from her enemies. You see, it wasn't just her barrenness that she wept over. It was the effect of the barrenness that had on her life. And so from the bottom of her heart, she rejoices in her God. But notice that ultimately her joy is in God himself. That's why Hannah doesn't just thank God for what he's done. She praises God for who he is. So see verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You see, Hannah not only paused to give God thanks, she paused to ponder about the God who has answered her prayers. That is, Hannah's joy wasn't just in Samuel. Hannah's joy was in God himself. She's not just thankful for the gift, she's thankful for the giver who's holy and incomparable. There's no one like him. A rock who's always dependable and reliable. And if God is this awesome and powerful, you'd want to find yourself on the right side of God and not on the wrong side of God. That's what verse 3 is about. 
Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Now, now it's tempting to think here that Hannah's having a go at Penina, that she's speaking to her, telling her not to be arrogant and so forth. But in the Hebrew, the warning against the proud and arrogance is actually in the plural. It's a general warning for all people and not just for Penina here. She's not targeting a specific person. And so she's expressing a general warning to all those who are proud and arrogant. And so we, we must not try to read between the lines. We must not try to think that Penina's having a go, uh, uh, Hannah's having a go at Penina, because I don't think that's what she's doing. And so I wonder whether Hannah's warning here is also a reminder to herself. She generalizes this warning to the arrogant so that she can warn herself as well. Because that's what godly people do. When godly people praise general truths and say general truths, they're speaking to themselves as well. They're warning themselves. They want to remember the warnings. They want to apply the truths to their own hearts as well. Even when they say you, general, they're saying me too. I'm included in the you. And so this is Hannah's note to self as she prays to God not to become arrogant and proud herself because now she's no longer barren. She now has a son. It's easy for her to receive the blessings of God and become arrogant and proud. And she doesn't want to do that. She wants to always remember that Samuel is God's gift to her. That Samuel was someone she didn't deserve. That she had no rightful claim over, but was a gift from God Almighty. And so she wanted to reserve her praises for him alone and guard her heart from arrogance and pride that can easily come from the blessings of God. You see, when we do well in life, it's easy to become proud. When we're successful, it's easy to become arrogant. We saw this last week with Ina, who had babies coming out of her ears. But instead of being a comfort to Hannah, who was barren, she taunted and provoked her so much that Hannah wept bitterly and couldn't even eat. Pride and arrogance can be so subtle, can't it? It can hide in the crevices of our hearts, but it's there. And it only needs a little encouragement to spread like cancer. The way we might look down on someone less successful, less intelligent, or less beautiful than us. The penina trap of arrogance and pride is easy to fall into. And sometimes we don't even realize we're falling into the trap until we're there. So Hannah warns us, she warns herself. With the blessings of God, guard your hearts and your minds from arrogance and pride. Pray about that. We must always fight it. And one way to do it is to have the right perspective. The right perspective, sorry. That's what Cameron Russell has, the right perspective. I don't know if you heard of Cameron Russell. Uh, Russell has modeled for Calvin Klein, uh, walked uh, runways for Victoria's Secret, landed the cover of Italian, the Italian edition of Vogue, but it hasn't made her elitist or snobbish. She says this in a TED Talk, the real way I became a model is I won a genetic lottery. You see, Russell is beautiful and she knows it, but it hasn't made her proud and arrogant because she knows that looks aren't everything. She knows her beauty has nothing to do with her, but everything to do with her genes, which were given to her 
which weren't determined by her, but as we know, determined by God. Um, you see, it's so easy to turn a blessing from God that what God can give us to then look down on others who haven't been so blessed by God. But that's not right, is it? Cameron Russell knows that. But as Christians, we should know that too. As Christians, we know that there's nothing we have, no opportunity we've been given, no success we've been granted without the grace of God. And Hannah doesn't want to forget this. She wants to remind herself that her joy in God was a gift from God. She wants to protect herself from falling into the banana trap because God knows all and he'll see through all the pride and arrogance. And that's a great approach to prayer, isn't it? That when we thank God for what he's blessed us with, that we also pray that he'll keep pride and arrogance far from us. Lest we forget that the blessings of God, the good things that come from God, the things that we enjoy because of God, we think that we deserve it. Just as we must not have jealousy or envy for what we don't have, we must not have pride and arrogance for what we do have. You see, the act of praying is more for us than it's for God. Because God knows what we're going to pray for even before we ask. So we need to pray to remind ourselves, like Hannah is trying to remind herself, that God's the source of all blessings. God's the one who can help us in our times of trouble. And prayer expresses our trust in God and thankfulness in God for all things. Now the second part of Hannah's prayer, she expands on this idea of joy in God. So verses 1 to 3 is like a camera that's zoomed into one tree in a forest. The camera has set its focus on Hannah, as it were. Then the next section is verses 4 to 8. It's like as though the same camera has now zoomed out to see the whole forest and not just look at the, looking at one particular tree. The camera has now set its focus on all of Israel, as it were, from one Israelite to all of Israel, from one tree to the whole forest. That is, the focus of verses 1 to 3 is on God's deliverance of one Israelite in the present, and that's Hannah. Then verses 4 to 8 is on the whole nation of Israel and what God has been doing in Israel for all this time. And the point in this section is that what God did for Hannah is simply what he's been doing for Israel all along. Just as Hannah's troubles was a microcosm of Israel's problems, as we saw last week, so the reversal of Hannah's fortunes is a microcosm of the fortunes of Israel being reversed. What God did for Hannah was what he's been doing for his people for centuries. It wasn't something out of character. It was consistent with his character. And he humbles the proud and reverses the fortunes of the humble. So in verse 4, the fortunes of the warriors and the weaker reverse. Verse 4, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. The fortunes of the well-fed and hungry are reversed in verse 5. Those who were full hide themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. And then the fortunes of the fertile barren are reversed, as was the case with Hannah. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The dead are even raised in verse 6. Do you see that? The Lord brings death and makes alive. 
He brings down to the grave and raises up. And the poor and the despised are made wealthy and noble from verse 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. You see, this theme of reversal isn't something new. What God did for Hannah is what he's been doing for all of Israel. It's part of the way God works throughout the pages of Scripture. We only have to look at Joseph's life as an example in Genesis. He was hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, framed and thrown into prison, but ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And we see that Joseph's fortunes were reversed, not for his sake, but for the sake of God and his people. Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers at the end of days, at the end of his days? Genesis 50:20. You intended to harm me. Joseph saying to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. You see, God reversed the fortunes of Joseph to save many from starvation, which lasts because of a drought that lasted seven years. And that included Joseph's extended family, who would eventually become the people of Israel, the people of God. And in a similar way, Hannah's fortunes have been reversed. Not ultimately for her sake, but for the sake of God's people, Israel. They, they were experiencing a crisis of law and order, a crisis of justice and leadership. And God's answer to Hannah's prayers was also his solution to Israel's problems. Samuel would become the transitional leader Israel needs. A leader not like the judges of old or the kings to come, but a transitional leader as judge, prophet, and priest in the order of Moses. You see, Hannah knows that the way God delivered her is characteristic of the way God rules the world. What Yahweh, what God has done for Hannah, simply reflects the tendency of his ways. And so she praises God for his past deliverances. But Hannah knows that God's present deliverance and God's past deliverances are only small glimpses of the deliverance to come. You see, Hannah's a faithful Israelite. She knows God's promises to Abraham. She knows that God's plan is to bless all peoples on earth through the nation of Israel, through the descendants of Abraham. So she knows that giving Hannah a son isn't God's endgame. She knows that when God saved and reversed Joseph's fortunes, the endgame wasn't so that Israel won't starve. But these instances of salvation, of deliverances, were somehow micro-deliverances as a foretaste to the macro-deliverance that's to come. And that's what she anticipates in the third part of her prayer, from verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. You see, the winners in the end will not be the strong. The powerful, the wealthy, the famous, the popular, the successful, 
the mum with the most kids, like Penina. God will judge. And those who oppose him will be broken. And the way he'll do this is through his king, his anointed, his Messiah. Have a look at the last verse in today's passage, verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now this is the first time the word anointed is used in connection with Israel's king in Scripture. And it's a significant point because Hannah was praying prophetically here. Even though Israel didn't yet have a king anointed by God, there have been hints all along throughout Israel's history, such as Deuteronomy chapter 17, that God will raise up a king who will judge the ends of the earth. And so Hannah's perspective of God's present and past deliverances is guided and shaped by God's future deliverance. And so if God answers our prayers, it may bring us much joy and relief. But it's only a glimpse of our future salvation. It only gives us a foretaste of the salvation that's to come because the real justice, the real peace, the everlasting joy is yet to come. And that means if God doesn't answer our prayers, then that's okay too, isn't it? Because it makes us yearn for the world that's to come. It makes us long for that great day when our salvation is fully realized and God rights all wrongs. Cinderella is one of the most popular folk tales of all time. There are an estimated 1,500 versions of Cinderella. The earliest was published in 7 BC about a Greek slave who marries an Egyptian king and becomes the queen of Egypt. There's another one which dates back 860 in China, and then another 1634 from Italy. But the one we're most familiar with is Disney's version, which is based upon the 17th century tale Saint Julian, written by the French author Charles Perrault. Even though the different Cinderella versions have different villains, the theme's the same. A poor girl's fortunes are reversed, and in most cases by a fairy godmother who does her magic. Have you ever felt like Cinderella? Where you feel that life's just hard and at times unbearable. You try your best to get out of your unfortunate predicament, whether that's a broken relationship or a contract you've signed that's gone sour or an ongoing health issue. And you feel like there's no resolution inside, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You feel like nothing's been going right. You feel and you wish that something will just go right in your life for once. Have you ever felt like Cinderella? At times like these, have you ever wished that you'd have a fairy godmother like Cinderella who could work her magic and reverse your fortunes in an instant? Life would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if we all had our own fairy godmother? Now, I suspect we haven't wished for a fairy godmother, but have we accidentally turned God into our fairy godmother? The way we only go to him for what we want. And when we get what we want, he disappears into the abyss, never to be seen again until we need to make our next wish. But that's not what Hannah did, did she? Yes, she prayed for a miracle, and God reversed her fortunes, but... As we've seen in this morning's passage, 
She didn't just rejoice in God's deliverance, she rejoiced in God himself. What meant more to her than Penina leaving her alone and Samuel being born to her was God himself. Her prayer was an expression of a delight in God, of her relationship with God. That's why she was willing to and able to keep her promise to God. So when Samuel was three or four years old, she was able to fulfill her promise and dedicate him to God. Because her delight was ultimately not in Samuel, but in God. Now, if Hannah could delight in God so much and keep her promise as she did, how much more should we delight in God? You see, the anointed one Hannah prophesied about in verse 10 was the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And the extraordinary thing was that he chose to reverse his own fortunes. He did the unthinkable. He did what no one would dare contemplate because he didn't reverse his fortunes from becoming poor to becoming rich, but he gave up his fortune of becoming rich to become poor. He gave up his place in heaven to become a man. He chose to leave the safety and security of his heavenly father to enter the world of sin and suffering. He chose a reversal of fortunes that we would never contemplate. Not from poverty to riches, but from, not from, immor, uh, but from immortality to mortality. So that he might live the life we can't, die the death we deserve. To thirst and hunger, be taunted and provoked, to suffer and die so that he might reverse our fortunes. And when Mary found out that she was given the privilege to bring God's son into this world, she prayed a prayer of praise like Hannah did. In Luke chapter 1, from verse 52, she says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Just as God had reversed the fortunes of old, so now his son, the anointed king, will reverse the fortunes of all those who come upon, call upon him. And he doesn't just make it possible for the poor to say, I am rich. He doesn't just make it possible for the, for, for the weak to say, I am strong. But he pardons our sins and remembers them no more. He offers us hope and glory in the world to come. He grants us at the seat, a seat at his table, the table of the king, and gives us the privilege to call his father our father. Friends, as a child of God, we have experienced our own Cinderella story. Not as a fairy tale, but in reality. Not as a temporary joy that disappears at the stroke of midnight, but as an eternal deliverance that will echo into eternity. And so with Hannah and Mary, let's praise our awesome and majestic God, who reversed the fortunes of our King Jesus by raising him back to life, to rule as our forever king. The promised Messiah in the line of David, vindicating him over his enemies, crushing death under his feet, sending him, seating him at, at God's right hand and saving a people for himself, which includes you and me. Friends, that is something worth praising God every day. That's something worth longing for every day. That's something to be delighting in God 
every day. Amen.